I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. I am the man. When I walk, the ground shakes. I am the master. And welcome to another episode of Vicious Circle. Sid, how you doing? Doing great, man. How you doing today? I am doing really good today. I'm pumped because we're getting to some very interesting questions. Good. I'm going to jump right in. Now, we missed one last week that I wanted to ask you about. And it's like, what's it like growing up as the tall kid? I know how people were at my school. But like, yeah, you, you weren't born this big. No, I'll tell you, um, I remember as a kid, and this probably when. I was first getting tall or starting to become much taller than other people. Uh, I'd be in a room, and, and also you got made fun of when you were real skinny, too. Like those one-liners, the long drink of water, and there's old Slim Jim, stuff like that. You sort of got sick of that stuff, too. But then someone would come in, they'd look at me across the room, and they start talking to someone else, and I'm going, whoa, man, what are they talking about over? And so you, you always thought they were you know, trying to size me up or, you know, talking, making say, what's wrong with that guy over there? And two, what happens when you're poor, well, not just that. I mean, things happen to you in life. I remember being in a baseball game one time, and I didn't have cleats, and there was a couple of kids out there making fun of me because I was in tennis shoes. You know, um, when those things happen to you like that, and that they walk in and do that, you go, hey, are they looking at me like I'm poor or something's wrong with me or something like that? So your automatic defense is like, you know, Hey man, what are you looking at? You know, so it's funny, but it gets that quick to do that. So that was probably the one thing. And then someone told me one time, said, "I said, man, that guy just came and looked at me, and they said, you think they might have just been looking at you because you're really tall?" Well, I didn't really realize how tall I was, or how you know people were saying it. It all seemed like it just started, then all of a sudden it was being said every day, and I thought maybe it was just I went through one of those growth spurts. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Roughly, how old were you when you started getting really tall? My first real big growth spurt was probably around 14 or something like that. Oh, okay. I remember getting my driver's license, first driver's license at 15, so it was a little bit before that. say 13, 14, something like that. And I remember I'd walk into stores I'd been into not that soon before that. And, hey, look how tall he is. I was like, man, you know, this must be really happening. Okay. I've always wondered about that because, yeah, this is this is not something a normal. I, I don't want to say it like that. A normal person experiences. Well, this is no. You're right, Rob. I, you don't realize it. I didn't realize it really until you asked that question that being tall. And I, since you asked that, I do feel like that I was under scrutiny just for that alone for being tall. You know, or maybe they were saying I'm only doing this because I'm tall. <laughs> you, know? Yep. you know, I'm, I'm standing here because I'm a person. Yeah. Well, the question came to me because we did one of the podcasts and you said, uh, I remember I was wrestling this short guy. He was six foot and I'm going, I'm five nine. Yeah. What does that make me? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so I've always wondered. So let's get back to our topic because we left you. You almost, uh, sorry, you had just finished uh, your first match with the road warriors. And now we're coming up with a match that gives you a pretty significant injury. This is a match against the Steiners. Do you remember that match? Man, 
very little. I actually, I thought that match was with the Road Warriors and it was a run-in with the Steiners, but I was totally off about that. But that happened so long ago. Um, now, and I've t- talked about this before, I'm not sure where that injury came from. Um, I had, they said I had a broken rib that looked like it caused a hole in my lung, and that was probably what happened. But, I mean, that could have been from, you know, a week before that or the day before that. You don't know what it was. And I do remember this when I, I got home, uh, like a few days after, somewhere in between that, is the night I was getting ready to go back on the road, and I got really short of breath. And uh, couldn't catch my breath. It's almost like I had pneumonia or something. And when I got to the airport, I flew from Memphis to St. Louis and walked across the airport. I was starting to get lightheaded. And they said, man, you need to get home before you can't get home. And I got on the plane and went straight to the hospital. And they said, man, you got to collapse long. Holy crap. Yeah. So what they do at first is they put a tube in and they let you stay in the hospital for three or four days. And then um, they'll come up on its own. And then they'll pull the tube out. And if the little thing on the bottom is still bubbling or not bubbling, it says it's, 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 it's you know, reached back out again. Well, that would happen. They say, go home, everything's okay. And then three, three, two, three days later, it would happen again. And then it happened a third time, and they decided to do surgery. Oh, so you had surgery because of this. Right. What happens is they go into your side there, just like open-heart surgery. They numb it, cut that right lat. That's where it was on my right side. They break all the ribs over there. They go in, they cut away part of the lung that's, that's punctured, and they sew the rest of it up. Oh, so you lost part of a lung. Yeah. Oh, wow. So what was the recovery for that like? Because that can't be easy. No, I'm going to tell you something, man. I was, of course, um, I don't know if I got depressed or not, but it would have been a good time too. I was really lucky. I worked for Turner who had guaranteed money, and they didn't want me to come back until I got all my weight back, you know, so they took care of me through that. Um, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't real confident in myself. Now, I lost so much weight. I come back to go back to work. They went, no, go back home, man. You need to gain some more weight. That's how bad I look. So I'm, I probably lost 70 pounds or something wow. like that. Yeah. So how long did that recovery take? You no, know, I have to look back. I'd say over, over a year. Really? Yeah. Jeez. And so now. And even that too, Rob, not to cut you off, but no. I wasn't. You know, it took me several more years to get back where I was before the surgery and when you lose your right lat, you never get all the way back. You know, saying weightlifting, one of the greatest movements for size, or what my opinion was, um, chins. And I could do weighted chins, and that'd give you a really great back. Well, I wasn't going to have that great back anymore because my right lat had been severed, you know. Okay. So what does that control, that lat? Well, it controls your lateral back muscles and that with your pull you know, if you're pulling down or pulling yourself up on a chin or something like that doing chin ups that's what it controls um, but as far as now the hardest thing was this where they sewed up part of the lung was the, that part healing like when I never forget they said don't ever let this pain medication come out of your system and you know I hadn't been home a few days and I was I didn't want to be on that stuff and I never forget I was sitting in the living room and that pain hit me, and I couldn't reach over to get those pain pills. And just the, the, the pressure of moving forward was so tremendous. I was in, like, shock, and there was no one there to help me. And I finally got those pain pills to God where I could take a couple. 
you know, uh, I'll never forget that. And the, the, like the starting process where a friend of mine lived behind me, I played softball with named Richard Cox. He'd come over with to my house and we'd walk just the length of my driveway, which was about 20 feet. And then I'd come back in and then we'd walk the driveway and maybe to the neighbor's house the next day. And then we got to where I could do that for a half a block. And then get where I could do that for a block. And then kept doing that, kept doing that where I could walk a little bit and get my wind up. And then after time, I finally got back into the gym slowly. Wow. Well, now, uh, with your wife, because she was supporting this whole thing, what, how, how did that affect her seeing this? You know, the thing is, she never, um, through our whole, our whole life in this wrestling business, she never said anything about things like that. She just supported me, and I guess to help me get my mind off of it, never you know, said how bad it really was or... You know, just always, I'm not kidding, Rob, and I've said this and I'll keep saying it, it was the greatest support system I've ever, anyone could ever have is what I had with her and my, you know, just again, I couldn't have, in this wrestling business, I could not have been any luckier to have met Sabrina. I can see that, especially in this kind of situation. Right. Or any others to come, you know. No, right. Well, that was a, but that's a good one to build yourself on. You know, we made it back from that and we were young and. We had our first child, and he was, you know, just turning five years old, and we're trying to better ourselves, and she's working hard, too, as a paralegal. And, um, but we, we just we walked right through that. We just kept our nose down and kept walking. So now this is also the time that the baseball rumors started. Softball. Yeah, um, and it's because of you trying to build up your... Right. Well, what it was, I said I came back, and they said, no, you go back home and you know, work out a little bit more. You still need to gain some more weight. So I was working out. My day started at five in the morning. I mean, I was at the gym sweating at five in the morning. I'd work out then. I'd go home, work out again, run bleachers. And then in the evening, you know, I play softball and I'm just guessing at this part, I don't know this would be true, but you know, Jerry Lawler was a big softball player and we used to dominate them. And um, I feel like he's the one that started spreading rumors or, you know, hey, Sid's, you know, working for WCW, but he's here playing softball all year. And that's where everything started on the softball stuff, where Ole Anderson was the booker. He called me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working out. He goes, you playing softball? I went, yeah, I'm playing softball. He goes, well, you're in trouble. Uh, when you get back, you're gonna, Lex is going to beat you in one minute at uh, Clash of Champions or the Citadel. I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I said, man, this company's paid me for a year, a year and a half. And that's all you want out of me is one. I, yeah, okay, you could do that to Done. me. I don't, and of course, I already t- told you the story about that. This is something you don't care about. But that was my punishment for playing softball. And then the softball thing stuck with me the rest of my life, which, one, I was a big softball player, but then it just it fell into places where if I was taking some time off, it was, he's taking off for the summer to play softball. That wasn't the case. It just I was off during that time, so I, I played softball as well. Before this, had there been any issues at all about softball or? No. Again, it was just because I was, you know, I don't know. I'm sure people could be upset that I'm being paid to stay home and play softball. And I'm, this is when all the, you know, if you were in sports entertainment or something like that, or in sports, they didn't want you playing basketball if you played baseball. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that's where it started. I don't know if it was law or it started that. He's doing one. This is only a day of just kayfabe sheets, and I'm sure he – Prescribed to that, so or subscribed or whatever. Well, I know all people can say too. Like, if you have a physical injury, how can you do a physical activity? Right. But honestly, the only way to recover 
from a physical injury is physical activity. That's it. That's the only way you're going to cover. And the thing about softball, it kept me running and using my legs and everything. So, again, it wasn't nothing wrong with that, doing that. It was just somehow somebody took it out of con- you know, content. And Well, to me, too, if you, like you said, you cut that muscle on the lat there, swinging a bat oh, is yeah. like. That's a good motion. Yeah. Okay, so you came back, and like you said, the only thing they ever asked of you was that job to Luger. Right. Right? That was the only kind of repercussion that... That was it. And, the, and to make it easier on me, Ole says, I'll be in the ring with you. I'm like, okay, you can be there, but it's not going to hurt me. <laughs> so describe that match. What was it like? Where was? I want to say it was just... Um, it was like within a minute, and... Uh, Somehow, Odie was involved in it, and I want to say Lex just rolled me up real quick. One, two, three. So have you ever worked with Luca before that? I think I had worked with him some, you know. Yeah. Um, but we ended up working together a whole lot. Yeah, I noticed in, the, in the, the sheets that I'm reading that there are quite a few matches with him. Right. But this was the very first one you ever had with him? Maybe. Uh, I'm, so if I... Yeah, it had to be because I hadn't done any singles matches up to that point. So think about it too, Rob. This is the beginning of my singles career. Now that I think about it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, too. I guess if it was the very, very beginning too, then one loss doesn't matter because you've just come off that tag team run. Right. Did they? Did they ever? How did the feud with the the Warriors go after that? Well, I think when I came back, the Warriors were in WWF. I could be mistaken on that. They went to the WWF pretty soon after that, or if not already then. And then, um, you know, it just, again, I didn't think of it until right now that that was the beginning of my singles career. And so uh, I remember wearing the singlet and doing, you know, singles matches across places. And this was the time uh, Undertaker was in there as me and Mark, and we rode together. And he had actually been my replacement as the other skyscraper. And then something happened to the skyscrapers while I was gone, and it was just, then a lot of people think me and Mark were skyscrapers together because I guess we were riding together, but we never were. We never did a skyscraper match together. Really? Yeah. I saw an interview actually with Dan Spivey about that because you had titles and Mark had titles. He go, so the guy asked him, he goes, well, how come you're the only skyscraper that didn't have a belt? And he goes, because I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't suck, man. Danny was a hard worker. Again, taught me so much um, how to get heat. And that might not sound important but it is well if you're going to be a heel you got i mean you got to know i'm, I'm talking about just get yourself over heat not cheap heat oh I'm okay talking about really know how to get on somebody and make him go wow that dude's getting hurt you know so now the one thing and this is a little off of what we wanted to talk here you had mentioned before too that it's you said it wasn't something you're proud of but during that period and i know it's come up because of the way dan acts you guys were pretty stiff Especially in house shows and things like that. Especially TV matches. Yeah. Like, yeah. was this the norm? It was the norm, and I talk about this sometimes. You think about this, it was bad everywhere, but in WCW one time you had me and Danny, you had the Road Warriors, you had the Steiners, you had Stan Hansen, you had Vader, you had Steve Williams. You know, it just goes on and on. And these guys, especially Dan Spivey and Stan Hansen and Vader and Steve Williams, they made their living on beating people up. You know, that was, and it was, it was tough back then, especially for those guys on those TV matches, man. I always gave them extra money sometime at night because they really earned their money. Really? Yeah. 
was this because uh, I did hear things, and again, these are just the rumors. Was there competition sometimes to see how bad oh, it could yeah. get? I, th- I know it had. I don't know if it was competition, but it was built-in competition. And I'm telling you, it was terrifying for those guys doing this stuff. I'm talking about. I was power bombing people. I know, like I was driving them through a concrete floor. You see the people just folding like a accordions, you know. And then I remember people were, you know, taking to the hospital, and especially during those TV tapes. And then if you got lucky enough or unlucky enough to be in one of my stretcher matches, you might have gone across the interstate somewhere. That's how far I pushed you, you know. Yeah. Okay. I remember those now too. Now the one because I was thinking is that showed you and Dan against a match with someone and. uh he was basically no selling everything. And afterwards, Dan got a little physical. Right. And I get, I get that's kind of like a training moment. Right. You know? This is the thing is, that was a teaching moment, too. So I, um, it was in, I want to say, Fort Worth at a, a arena for cows. It was one of those barn shows. And exactly what happened, I, I'm not wrong about this, is that we gave him our finish and then... He got up on the floor out there and didn't sell it. Now, you know, I was—I think I got involved a little bit too, but not as much as Dan did. But um, I didn't think that was a place that in the business anymore. Where I've seen other guys this happened to, where uh, I won't say his name. He was working with a couple of guys at the center stage, and he was in a position like that and didn't know what he was doing. And two guys came down and roughed him up a little bit when he got back to the dressing room he asked the two guys that did that hey why did y'all do that to me and you know their res- response was that hey you didn't sell our finish well, this guy just said he didn't know you know so you're going to take it and to me it's called spot pickers I could not do that to someone you know just because I could do it I'm, I wasn't going to do that you know now if you were working with me in a TV match I'd let you know real quick man I'm here to get over and this is this unfortunate day for you you know <laughs> You could always tell the guys that were working with me, I could come in the room and tell them they were just like, man, they were like white as ghosts. You know, it's like, man, are you working with you? Yeah, okay. So I'd always ask the guy, go, how many matches you have? He'd go, 10, 20, or 50. I said, okay, well, when we get out there tonight, I said, I'm not going to be the person you're talking to right now, so don't freeze up on me out there. And they go, oh, don't worry, man, I got this. And as soon as we get out there, I can see dude was frozen, solid, you know. Oh, man, come on, get out of this. Oh, okay, beat him up. And see, I kind of wonder if that's what was going on in that tag match. Because you guys would, would plan a power move on him, and he'd stand right back up. Well, again, I didn't know until after it happened. He just didn't know any better. Um, and again, instead of taking someone like Eddie took me and took my hand and said, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, you don't beat them up because they don't learn like that. Yeah, because it, it looked like he was selling. Like when he got up, he's doing the whole thing, but he just wasn't selling the move. Well, I, I know one time that I got beat up. We're not beat up, but strapped pretty good. I was working in a strap match with uh, one of the Samoans, Sika, and uh, they brought him in. Eddie brought him in to work with me in a strap match, and he's putting me over, I'm guessing, but you, know, you have to sell that strap. And man, when you get hit with that strap, it's hard to sell because it really hurts. <laughs> I guess I wasn't selling it, and dude really started strapping me with that thing, you know. And I never forget that. But again, that again, that's why that's not your best option, because this I didn't know what I was selling, you know, because it hurts so bad, you know. Uh, so again, you just didn't know. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, I think what we'll do then is we'll just jump in right to a question and right. uh, get ready for our next episode. All right. My time. 
Okay, for our next question, we have Steve from California. What do you got, Steve? Hi, yeah, I wanted to ask Sid. Um, it might be a little tough, might not be. Out of his whole career, expand many decades, what was his favorite run as champion and in which promotion? Well, I'd probably say the, the run with Vader when I was the WWF champion for a lot of reasons. The main reason, is, you know, it's just it was a turning point for me in my life and where I turned everything around for myself. I feel like I've already talked about that. So that definitely has to be the main run, and the guys doing the run with was Vader. Because he had uh, Shawn Michaels involved and Bret Hart and Diesel and Undertaker and all those guys. But the one guy who really stood out was uh, Vader. We had some a really good time together. Nice. Oh, that's great. And who? And another question is, if you can, I know it might be tough. I'm not sure because there's a lot of opponents you faced. Uh, who was your favorite guy to work with, and who was your least favorite guy to work with? Vader was one of the top guys, and I've said this before too. The other guy I enjoyed working with maybe more than anybody. Well, again, was Bam Bam Bigelow, and the reason was is um, he was a workhorse like Vader and like Sean. But um, just had a unbelievable mind. It was one of the few times that a person like myself could really just take a step back and just be a listener. I mean, really, I, I didn't have to do anything but listen to what he said. Now, me and Leon working, I had to suggest some of the things, you know. But with uh, with uh, Bigelow, it was like just sit back, listen, and everything's going to work out. Nice. So, who was the least favorite to work with, if you want to mention? Over, it just you know, they just did because of the way they worked or what have you. There's been a bunch of those guys. <laughs> I was probably one of those guys on a lot of guys' list for themselves, <laughs> but um, you know, Steve, sometimes you don't realize those matches till you get in the middle of one. And, and me and um, Rob was talking about it earlier was, was the Road Warriors, and it wasn't one of the least favorite guys to work with, but it was one of my least favorite nights to remember. Just the matches were tough, they we weren't givers, they weren't givers. It made for a bad match, made for, you know, boring for the fans, and they let you know that real quick when you're in Philly or something like that. So that, you know, again, those kind of matches were your least favorite, but not just one person. I, I didn't dislike anyone maybe then. Really, no, I didn't dislike anyone that bad. But, again, those kind of matches like that, there were the guys that didn't cooperate. Now, we talk about that. You know, who's a giver? And the people like Sean and Sting and um, – you know, um, Vader and Bigelow, those guys were givers in the biggest ways, and those were the ones that were fun to have. And there was nights where, you know, the, the guys that weren't hard workers, you know, um, like, for instance, this once in a while, um, you run across, I forget, one of the worst, i tell you, the worst night of my life was uh, right. the first time I worked with the Ultimate Warrior. It was in Baltimore. I'll never forget this. And, um, he says the match is going to be I'll come in, I'll clothesline you, clothesline you you take the powder and I'll shake the ropes, I said no, you come in and I'll stop you, I'll send you off, give you a clothesline pick you up, you send you off you duck mine, you give me one clothesline and then you shake the ropes and he reaches to the ceiling and goes well the ultimate worst I said it was a small dressing room I was looking around like, is this guy really saying this? And so I walked out of that little dressing room to Jack Lanza, who's the agent. I went, 
And they looked at me too. They knew that what I was facing wasn't real. And I said, man, I said, what is going on here? And they, they were shocked as I am, but that was probably, that probably was the least, the guys I like working with Ultimate Warrior. Nice. Thanks a ton, Steve. And I guess we'll get ready for another podcast. My time is yours. And it's time for another caller. We have a caller here, Maggie. How are you, Maggie? I'm good, thank you. Good. Now I hear you know Sid. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, she came up and visited one time. When <clears throat> she was big. Uh, she helped Scott Hall a lot with his fan page and stuff like that. So Scott here was staying here for a little bit. <clears throat> and so she came up from Louisiana, and we all hung out. And she helped me film this documentary. I'm going to give you a copy later. Remember that, Maggie, the promotion? Yeah, I sure do. Did you have, have I ever gave you a copy of that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Have I ever given you a copy of that uh, that video? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to give Rob one tonight, and he's going to send you one, too. We're going to get your information from you, and he's going to send it to you. Oh, that'd be awesome. Excellent. Yeah, you've got awesome. to see it. How's that baby doing? Man, he is something else. I'll tell you, um, of course, I've, you've seen the pictures of him and that dog and him on the lawnmower and him on the tractor. And, of course, the one with the dog that held that pit bull's tail, and the tail was pulled his shoulder out of socket, man. He would not let that tail go. <laughs> Did you see that one, Maggie? No, I didn't see that one, but you sent me several that I I really enjoy. He's a cute little fella. Yeah. He really is. How's your grandchildren doing? Uh, awesome. Awesome. Got two in college, two in high school. Then I got uh, one married, and then my little my little one, she's three. So right. I'm blessed. How's Sid doing? That's her husband, Sid. He's good. He's good. He, you know, we have our good and bad days, just like everybody else, but... He's good. Good. And today's Sunday. Did y'all enjoy yourselves today? Well, I, it's been a quiet day. Really? It's been quiet here, yeah. This is, you know, Morgan, my um, oldest grandson, he fishes for ULM, and that's how he's part of his scholarship, you know, so he's always off somewhere. And Alex usually hunting or, or fishing somewhere, too. They're... I call them my great white hunters. There you go. It sounds like they are. And that's the same thing I did when I was a kid. And me and Rob talked about it in my book where me and my buddies would get up at, you know, three or four in the morning to walk 20, 30 miles one way towards the river just to hunt and fish all day. So there's nothing yeah. better. There's nothing better than that. Well, oh, hey, no. we, we, we appreciate you calling in, Maggie. Well, you have a good one, Sid. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Maggie. And uh, we'll get ready for another episode. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.